Hey, greetings founders. Welcome to Feel the Boot, the science of startups. I'm your host, Lance Cottrell, and I'm here to help you climb that nearly vertical learning curve that you're going to encounter as a new CEO. I've made a ton of mistakes and I've seen even more by advising dozens and dozens of startups. And I wanna share that with you to help you avoid making the same mistakes. Today, I wanna to talk about one of the things that I personally really struggled with, and that's sales meetings, particularly the big complex sales. If you're just selling to consumers, that's usually a pretty straightforward transaction. And if you're selling a commodity, again, they either need it or they don't. But when you're looking at larger or more complicated solutions, then you need to be able to get in there and really interact with the customers. And so I wanna share with you some of the things that I've learned about being effective in that context over the years. When I first started selling to enterprise customers, I quite frankly sucked at it. But fortunately, I had a team around me of really experienced people who could give me feedback and coaching, provide their experience and get me over that hump until eventually I became extremely effective at it. And what I wanna do is share that back with you so you can avoid the whole pain and suffering part of that learning curve. First, I want to share a key concept and that is that you want your customers to see you as a partner, not a vendor. They need to believe that you care about them solving their problem more than you care about selling your product to them. And that should be incidental to the process of helping them. Now, obviously you're not gonna turn into a free consultant, but you do need to be willing to give them the information that they need, even if that means they're gonna go off and try to solve the problem themselves. And in some cases that can actually work out really well. If your product is all that, when they go off and try to do it themselves, they won't have a very satisfactory result. And when they come back to you, they now understand how difficult this is and the real value you're providing, making it an easy sale and a wonderful partnership going forward. One of the things that took me a while to understand is that sales meetings were as much about learning as they were informing. And I needed to do a lot more listening and a lot less talking, which doesn't always come naturally to me. Now, hopefully you are talking to your customers a lot, ideally from before you even started building your products. And there's a number of things that you should be making sure you're hearing in these meetings. First off, what are their real underlying problems? What are the things that keep these people up at night and you know, are the center of their attention? And is that something that you can address or are you actually addressing some problem that's off on the periphery of their interest? So where does this fall in their set of priorities? Is this the next thing they need to work on? It's a spurting arterial wound, or is this a hangnail? And they're gonna get around to that later because they've got much bigger problems to deal with. Now, even if you have a truly fantastic solution, if you're not the top priority, they're probably not gonna be paying attention to you. You also need to understand why wouldn't they adopt this solution that you're providing? What are the impediments? You know, why, what does this need to work with? What other capabilities does it need to integrate? What tools are they already using? Are there purchase processes? Are there contracting vehicles? There's a lot of ways in which things that aren't directly related to what you're doing can make it difficult to purchase your solution. 
It can also be really useful to ask how other vendors have failed them. Where have other major purchases, large integrations gone wrong? And what, what kind of patterns can you see in that? And then of course, how can you try to avoid them? If you structurally already understand how those things go wrong and have built your solution and process to circumvent that, then you often can get a huge leg up on your competition. And you also want to understand what even counts as a win with this customer. How are they going to measure success? And if you come in without that established ahead of time, you can often do what you think is successful and have them come back and sort of think that it was a mediocre outcome. And if they've said it up front, this is a win, when you deliver that, you can come back and really declare victory. And hard to argue with that. Another thing that you want to understand early on is the potential scale of this opportunity. So you want to be asking, where can this go? You may be doing a pilot now, but how big could this get? Are there other places in the company that need it? How many total seats might, might it be? Are they likely to need additional capabilities and an, an expansion of the offering over time? Now, you're not asking for a commitment and you need to be really careful to make sure that they don't feel like they're being pinned down in any way. But you need to understand as you're getting involved, how much effort is this customer worth? If they need customization, how much does it make sense to do for them? If they have the potential and likelihood of becoming a huge customer, you may be willing to do quite a lot. But if after the pilot, they're only going to add another six seats and be worth maybe a few thousand dollars a year, you're going to want to basically be selling them something off the shelf. But if you don't ask, you never know. And I see a lot of founders nervous to ask these kind of questions. And they'll come to me really excited about some customer like, oh, I talked to this big hospital and they're going to need, they've got thousands of patients. They must need huge numbers of these things. And did you ask how many of these people need it? How often they think they're going to need to buy this device and how often they're going to reorder? Are we talking a case a week or are we talking a case of these things per year? And he really didn't know. He just looked and saw a big organization and imagined big dollar signs in his eyes. But we never did get him to drill down on those questions to get specific. And so we didn't know, was this something that was going to make his company? Or was this going to be just sort of a small value add, but he was going to need to close hundreds of those. And that really comes to the cost of sales as well. If each sale is only bringing in a small amount of revenue, you can't do these big complex sales, many meetings, many discussions, providing lots of follow-up information. That's got to happen pretty quickly. And so being able to triage your customers and understand, do they get the high touch sales environment or do they sort of just get a price list and here's the information and we'd appreciate your business, but you're going to spend 10 times the revenue you're going to earn in time trying to close it. Another thing that took me a long time to wrap my head around was talking beyond my actual product to the entire life cycle of their experience of it. So I would be really into here's this feature and here's this technology and here's this capability, but they're busy thinking about how am I going to install this and how does this work with our legacy systems and this old database and you know all the computers we have are running this antiquated operating system or whatever it is. So I needed to be thinking about how they were going to experience it. And in the conversation, I'd learn where their problems were and then always be presenting it in terms of how this was going to get implemented, how we were going to onboard them, how they were going to do the integrations, how this was going to tie in. So they could really picture this 
getting into place, working and adding value in their business. And I found in some cases that having a really clearly laid out life cycle and onboarding and implementation plan that they could look at and understand with timelines and milestones was often a big differentiator against someone else who comes in with maybe equivalent solution, but where how that's going to get put in place is just a big question mark. And that could be what the difference between a sale and a loss. Before I move on to the meaty topic of objection handling, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you're still watching the video at this point, obviously you're, going, you're getting some value from it. So I'd like to ask you for a favor. Please like this episode on YouTube, in the podcast app you're using, wherever you're hearing this, like it. It makes a big difference to you getting more content like this, which obviously you're finding useful, but also helps it, the algorithm know that other founders like you will find this useful and that helps us grow the channel and help more founders and after all that's the whole reason we're here. Now if you've watched a whole lot of episodes and you haven't done it yet, please go a step farther and subscribe, ring the bell, leave a comment, share it on your social media. Try to help me put the word out there. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks. One of the big frustrations with hearing no is that sometimes you absolutely know your solution is in fact superior to the one they picked. And that is endlessly frustrating to especially technological founders. But the reality is the better solution doesn't always win. Like very often an inferior product is the dominant one in the market. I mean, if we go way back to videotapes, you look at VHS versus Betamax. Betamax was the superior format. But VHS made some smarter business moves. It was a more open standard and they were able to come in and mop up. Same with early Mac versus Windows 3. Windows 3 was terrible, but the Mac way, way ahead, many years ahead. But Windows won because of their relationships with app developers, their connections into business, the open platform. They were able to be much, much bigger than Apple. And it took Apple a long time to even get a small fraction of their installed base. And like with a lot of companies I see, they may have some amazing solution, but their customers are just using Excel to manage their data and that works good enough. And so good enough is often the enemy. Being better isn't necessarily what it takes to close the sale. So when you hear no from someone, first reaction may be to try to convince them that they're wrong. This is a huge mistake. Don't argue with your customer about their truth. It's their truth. If they believe that your solution is inferior or won't work well, you can guide them to it, but never try to confront them about that opinion. That creates tension in the room, almost always a bad thing. But when you hear no from a customer, it's always useful to try to dig down and understand the reasoning behind it because sometimes that reasoning is faulty and you can lead them to that understanding. Sometimes they may not even understand why they're saying no or may in fact be lying to you and giving you wrong information. In many cases, when someone's decided not to make a purchase, all they want to do is end the conversation quickly and get back to work. And so they're gonna give you whatever answer they think will make you go away quietly. And that could be misleading. So you need to try to nicely dig a little deeper and find out is that actually what's going on under the surface. 
And sometimes when they're saying no to you, it may be because of reasons that are largely unrelated to your product itself. It could be that this is not a priority for them right now, or there are implementation concerns like we've talked about before, and you need to be able to understand those and try to work around them. It may mean you need to go away and come back with a solution that doesn't have that problem, or you need to chalk this up as learning and make sure that you do have that addressed when you go out to talk to your next customer. You might be hearing no because of the other priorities at play. They may need what you're doing, but something else is outranking you, in which case you need to bring them to an understanding that in fact, this is something that is a higher priority or should be a higher priority for them. Again, you can't argue with them about it, but you may be able to bring them to that understanding. It may be that there are other things they need to work with, or there's policy constraints around using your services. When I started selling anonymity platforms to the US government, it was not at all clear this was something they were even legally allowed to outsource. They'd certainly never outsourced that kind of thing before. And so it was quite a process getting them comfortable with the idea, getting them convinced that there were no rules against it. Uh, you know, they, they often had a mentality that if I don't see a rule that says I can, then I can't. And trying to get them comfortable with the, if it's not forbidden, it's allowed, took some doing. But of course, once we got a couple of customers over that line, the rest of them could fall in place. And now we had someone else we could point to. They'd say, well, we're concerned about this. Well, this guy, this guy, and this guy are all doing this. So apparently it's something you're allowed to do. And that can work in a lot of cases. If you can get someone across the line to a successful implementation, then the answer to many objections is, let me show you a case study of where someone else had similar concerns and it turned out not to be a problem. And when you're talking to a customer and they bring up some concerns, don't always take that as a final no. Rather, dig in and try to unpack those concerns. Really understand and unravel what's the concern behind the concern. Right? Often there are layers to this, and they'll say, well, we can't do it because of this, but the reason they can't do that is because of that, because of that, because of that. And there's actually something else deep down going on. And if you can help them unknot that, then that solves probably not just the problem of buying your solution, but other problems as well. Again, you want to be that partner instead of a vendor in this relationship in exploring the concerns they have. Throughout all of this, one of the most powerful tools that I've discovered is the Socratic method, where you're trying to make arguments not by making statements, but by asking questions. You're trying to lead them to a certain point. Now, I don't want to suggest that you are doing that classic used car salesman approach of trying to get to yes. You, know, you open up with a question like, so are you interested in saving money? We all hate that question because it's transparently obvious that yeah, in fact, everyone does want to save money where appropriate and that the person's just trying to get you to say yes to his things to sort of get this momentum going. Rather, you want to be exploring. So ask about how they think about some difficulty that you solve or how they deal with gathering information which you provide in nice reports or whatever kind of capabilities you're bringing. By asking questions, you can get them thinking about those aspects of your product. You can also use this to ghost your competitors. So if you know your competitor doesn't have some capability, you can then start conversing with the customer about how they think about this ability that you do bring and whether that's valuable or important. 
and how that then fits into the rest of their business, right? Always contextualizing it around how this benefits them. And that can make it so that when they're looking at your competitor, they're going to ask them the same questions and you know they don't have good answers to it. So that can be very powerful. As well, when you use questioning to lead someone to the solution that you want, when they get there, it was their idea and they feel smart. They feel good. They don't feel like you made them do something or pushed them to make a decision or make a call. You have simply walked down the path with them and explored the options and looked at all of the issues and benefits and trade-offs. And at the end of the day, they have come to the solution and the conclusion that you wanted them to because you've chosen your questions carefully and you've made sure that you're asking things that will tend to lead them to the conclusions that you wanted them to have. But it's their idea and people always are more firmly attached to their own ideas. And it isn't confrontational, right? You're not butting heads with this person. So they, you, you have, again, that more collaborative sense. It feels like a partnership rather than someone is saying, what's it going to take to put you in a widget today? Thanks so much for watching this episode. I hope you found it useful and interesting. And if so, please do the usual like, subscribe, ring the bell, leave a comment. Uh, share with your social media. I'd also love to see you in our community. Come over to the Field of Boot, the Field of Boot Founders Alliance group over on Facebook. I'll put a link down in the description. Bunch of other people in much the same situation as I suspect you're in, bouncing ideas off each other, supporting each other, answering questions. It's a wonderful group. If you need personal feedback, if you need your own boot a little bit, I encourage you to come over to Field the Boot, join our mailing list, Boot Tracks, Lots of good information in there and links to all the new episodes. But more importantly, in each issue, I include a link to set up one-on-one -on -one coaching with me. Everything's free, but that gives you a half hour to talk about pitch decks or business strategy or go to market or uh, technology, your solution, user interface, whatever it is you want to talk about. I'm there to help you along your path. And I really enjoy it. I learned so much. It's fascinating all the new businesses I've been exposed to. And frankly, talking to founders is one of the most fun things that I do because you're such an interesting group of people. You're doing hard and exciting things and you're passionate. And that's just always fun. So till next time, ciao.